0: Matters, the podcast that brings you conversations that are critical to managing and governing condos, cooperatives, and homeowner associations. I'm your host, Tony Campesi, Executive Director of the Keystone Chapter of Community Associations Institute. Tune in each episode for the insights and information that are key to inspiring professionalism, effective leadership, and responsible citizenship, ideals reflected in community associations that are preferred places to call home. Today, I'm speaking with Sarah Hash, a community association manager with Donella Realty and Management Company, and Matt Collins Esquire, an attorney with the law firm Horn Williamson. Our topic today is sometimes a touchy subject, property inspections. Every community manager conducts regular property inspections, and sometimes they uncover violations of the rules. We'll talk about how an inspection takes place, what managers look for, and how to handle violations and enforcement. Before we get to our topic today, here's a brief word from our sponsor, Hoffman HOA Law. I'm Ed Hoffman with Hoffman Law, LLC. Hoffman Law LLC is a recognized leader in community association law. We're known for our responsiveness, legal acumen, leadership in the association industry, and our unwavering focus and commitment to education. You can learn more about us at our website, hoffmanhoalaw.com. Hoffman Law LLC is proud to sponsor this episode of the Community Matters Podcast. Sarah and Matt, welcome to Community Matters Podcast, and please tell our listeners a little bit about yourselves.
1: Hey, Tony. I'm Sarah Hash. I'm a property manager with Danella Realty, and I've been with them for about six years.
0: Hey,
2: Tony. Thanks for uh, having us here. Matt Collins. I'm a partner with the law firm of Floyd Williamson, where I focus on uh, community associations. I say from the clubhouse to the courthouse and every, everything in between.
0: I think that's a good way to put it. So we're talking about property inspections. Sarah, let me start with you. How often are property inspections completed? And is there a best practice that you follow here?
1: Yeah. So obviously, you want to first um, reference your governing documents to see if that calls anything out. And then you, as a property manager, want to reference your contract with your association. Um, my association during spring and summer, sometimes into fall, we usually do monthly property inspections. and then throughout winter just to make sure you know, things like snow and stuff are done. Um but obviously, you want to it's order of order of operation there, docs, contract, and then, you know, preference with your board.
0: How do you advise your owners and residents that an inspection is going to happen? Um, And do you send reminders about rules before you do the inspection?
1: We do, yeah. So in the spring, we start really early in spring to send out the rules and regs so people can read them, get a little refresher. But I also send an email that kind of bullet points the most important rules and stuff that we look for when we're doing property inspections. That way, people have time to get those addressed or ask any questions before we start doing inspections.
0: Matt, what are you looking for? Or, or is there anything in particular that you'd like to see in the rules about this topic? Sure, so you know, as attorneys, we
2: are kind of process engineers, if you will. So just as important as the you know, thou shall nots in your rules, you wanna make sure that there's a clear process of what happens when someone violates the rules. You want this to be as predictable for the residents, but also as mechanical um, as you can be for the manager to enforce as well as the board uh, you know, to, to enforce the rules. Uh, when boards decide to do this in an ad hoc process, kind of make it up as they go, it's a disaster. Either it's a disaster and they're not aware of it or it's a disaster that's going to be visit, visiting them uh, real soon.
0: Sarah, do you photograph units or or properties when you're completing an an inspection? And if so, why?
1: I do. So my first inspection of the year, I have a tendency in my condo units to photograph every single unit, regardless of their violation status. Um, And that's so I can keep track and build a database over the years to see how the properties are looking, And sometimes as a property manager, especially if you have a lot of different units, you can't always keep track of what maybe was there last year versus what's there this year. So that really helps to enforce things like unapproved alterations. Um, It also helps to keep tabs on any damages that may have happened or aren't being addressed. Um, Throughout the year, if there is a violation, I do tend to photograph them just because you know, if a resident or owner comes back to me and has a question or the board has a question, I can pull it up and, and specifically identify and give them, you know, a visual on what I'm referring to. Um, you know, it does really help with the communication aspect.
2: I want to add to just from my perspective, photos make it much easier down the line if um, if you have to engage counsel and bring an enforcement action.
0: Let me ask you a clarification here, um, particularly regarding condos. Mm-hmm. When you're doing an inspection, that this is all exterior. You're not entering units, correct? Correct.
1: Yeah, correct. Everything is exterior. And when I'm performing um, inspections, I'm not just looking at the units per se. Obviously, as a property manager, we're responsible for the common area, so I'm inspecting all of that as well.
0: So what's the most efficient method to complete an inspection, especially for large community associations with hundreds of units? And I should ask you, Sarah, what what are the sizes of the communities that you manage to give us some perspective?
1: Yeah, so my condo association is 218 units, and we have an HOA with single family homes. That's 243 units. And it's funny because, you know, I came into this, you know, having no experience as a property manager six years ago, and I started as an assistant and inspections were so overwhelming to, to gather all the data and and to document everything. And as the years have gone on, um, what I typically do is, and I the photos really help with this, I just kind of take notes and I have a map of my community and I map where I've walked because I don't take, I don't document everything thoroughly. I like to spend as little time as possible behind the units, you know, to make people feel like I'm, you know, staring at their units or taking notes on their units. So I just maybe take a quick note. Um, Typically I kind of just check off which units had a violation. I don't write what it is. And then I go back and look at my photographs and that's when I determine, okay, this was the violation. This was the violation. And it, it makes it really easy when I map my inspection route and I just check off which units had violations.
0: I'm curious, how long does it take you to do one of these inspections?
1: Um, for the condos, it is a, a relatively big we're we're garden style. Um so it's it's a pretty good walk. Uh so I break them into three sections. Um, and that is good too, because we have three different style condos. So I do one section first one day, and then maybe the next week I go back and do the other two, three days later. I like to process all of my data before I move on to the next section. Um, So I would say total just to walk the community and take the photographs three, four hours. Um, The processing of, you know, the letters and everything obviously takes more time.
0: And I imagine it helps you get your steps in those days.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it definitely does. good walking shoes for sure.
0: Is it typical for a member of your board or the whole board to do the inspection with you? Or is this something that really should be limited to the manager?
1: So last year was actually my first year having a board member come with me to do inspections. And I think that depending on how your board is with you, you know, that's really going to be I wouldn't say the manager's preference, but I guess it's really up to the board. Um, my The board member, it's my vice president of condo. Um, he does walk with me and he helps to take notes. Um, and it's a good learning tool for him um, as a new board member uh, to realize what kind of stuff I do for my job, what kind of stuff I'm looking for and to familiarize himself with the rules and regulations of the association.
0: Matt, what's your perspective on this, on hands-on participation by board members?
2: Sure. And I guess I'll first begin with a little caveat. So, you know, these issues surrounding rules generally only get to me when there's a problem. And so, I don't see oftentimes when all of this works well, right? Most lawyers, always see are where society tends to break down, right? So, we tend to have a skewed data in, in our head. So I do not favor this approach. Um, I generally like having my uh, board operate you know from behind the procedure, from behind the roles and rely upon their manager. When I see this happening, when it gets to my attention, when board members have engaged you know in a real hands-on, you know you immediately have this narrative uh, you know the board is out to get me concept yeah. and the more that you can point to hey it's, it's not us you know it's it's just the it's the rules it's the rules that you decided um, to adopt you know what when you moved in here so I again I generally like to have a, a layer of separation and even ideally to go a step further I find communities that have a dispute resolution committee before it even gets to the board uh, those uh, that setup generally, I don't see as many of those cases coming my way because, you again, you have that other uh, layer of separation. And it tends to cool. People's temperatures tend to cool off as that process continues. So that's again, that's my take. But again, I'm only seeing when there's a problem case. Uh, I'm sure, Sarah, you probably in most instances did not have any problem whatsoever when that board member tagged along with you.
1: Well, and all the points you made are super valid and they make a lot of sense. And this community does not have a dispute resolution, which, you know, definitely could kind of calm things down and and give residents a beat to think about, like, you know, she wasn't just looking at my unit. It's literally procedure. Um, There was a small instance, one instance where somebody, you know, made it seem like the board member was targeting them. Um, you know, because they were neighbors and they had just a neighborly dispute previously. Um, but that, I mean, that could happen with me. I mean, it does happen with me as a property manager. Um, you're targeting me, you know, you're only looking at my unit. Um, but I I actually agree with you for that level of separation to kind of keep, keep the board out of like the dirty, nitty gritty parts of community living.
2: Oh and then if you have a committee, right, the, the dispute resolution committee, you might just have one board member on that committee, the rest are other homeowners. And so right. it, it takes some pressure off of board members uh, for some this might be the most um, uncomfortable thing or, or the most distasteful thing up from their job confrontation. Not many people like confrontation. And so again, having other unit owners kind of share that a little bit uh, can help get volunteers, you know, to serve on the board, but also it shows the owner again, hey, the board's not out to get me. These are neighbors who aren't even on the board who are sitting at this dispute resolution committee. So
0: some more thoughts there. So Matt, you mentioned the word confrontation and this concept of a property inspection sounds to me like it's an opportunity that's ripe for confrontation so Sarah I'm sure it's it's occurred to in 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 your inspections at some point you know you're out walking the property you're looking at people's homes you're taking pictures taking notes and you encounter homeowners what happens when that hat when when you encounter a homeowner do they have questions do they assume that you're doing like Matt said you're targeting me
1: right So there's a lot of things that you can do to kind of help avoid that. And the communication is the number one for me, reminding people we're coming out for inspections, giving specific days. This year, I actually put in the notice, like, just so you know, all units, regardless of violation status will be photographed. Um, And that's part of the reason why I went to this you know, take pictures now, write up the violation later because it's less time I'm spending behind their unit. People do approach me and I've been with my community a long time. My residents are very familiar with me. So sometimes it's people coming out to say, hi, how you doing? Blah, 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 which is great. That's good engagement. But at the same time, you know, I'm trying to get through these inspections, but yes, absolutely. You have new tenants um, that are renting a condo. Um, you know, or the chronic violators that like are waiting by the door for you to come by. Um, The second you stop, someone will come out and say, is there something wrong? What are you writing on the paper? Um, And I, my best way to handle this aside from procedurally, I smile basically the whole time I'm walking through people come out, people see me. I see them looking out the windows, they smile and wave and, you know, say hi, Um, and they say, is there a problem? And I I say, oh, I won't know until I get back. You know, I'm just doing the inspections and taking the photographs. Um, you know, that way they're not instantly looking for information. You know, there's no reason to have confrontation with me. Um, because if there is an issue, I'll let you know, basically is what I tell them. And as, as a manager, as a parking manager, you have to be flexible. You have to be able to communicate with your, with your residents and, I think they, I think they end up understanding that it literally is just your job, and you're not trying to, you're not out to get them.
0: Matt, what's your advice for this kind of situation?
2: Well, another way to do it too is to flip, flip the narrative a little bit, right? To say you focus on the fact that you're being proactive. You're not out there to catch people um, doing things wrong. So, property inspections cover a lot more, right? Number one is vendor management. Is the landscaper doing what they're supposed to do? Right. Do, we, do we need power washing? You know, how, how are things holding up relative to what the reserve study said? So you can, you can immediately, you know, kind of, I mean, it's not, you're, you're not misstating anything, but it's a great Jedi mind trick to do when, when people do confront you. And you can say, well, actually, I'm, I'm looking out for the property uh, to begin with. And, and Sarah, that's great. I mean, kind of arbitrators and judges will do that oftentimes too, is they won't make a decision when everyone's in the room, right. They take Mm -hmm. it under advisement because they don't want someone to, to react. Um, so, you know, as Sarah, as you were saying, and what I would, uh, you know, again, continue to uh, repeat is stay in the high ground, which is what, what you're doing these days, any manager out there, needs to assume that they're being recorded both uh, by video and audio. And you know, don't say anything that you wouldn't be embarrassed if it was replayed later on the internet or, uh, or in court. And remember, your safety and your dignity as a manager are not worth risking over a violation. Right. If, if it escalates, get out of there. You're not diffusing a bomb you can come back. You can regroup. You can talk to your attorney or your board and say, "Hey, what's a what's a better way to approach this issue?" Because um, here here's what happened, and I don't want it to escalate.
1: That's valid. And and one thing, if I can touch on that, I know you don't necessarily agree with having a board member come, but as you know, a smaller female, it was a little comforting to be walking around with my male uh, board member, because I feel like a lot of times and just in life in general, people that are, you know, unnecessarily aggressive, they tend to not be so hot or quick to act if there's more than one person there, um, because they have, they live in that like bully mindset. And if there's more than one person there, I feel like they're less likely to kind of lash out. So for me, it, it is also a, a bit of a comfort to, to do it with more than one person, but it doesn't have to be a board member. It, it could be, uh, you know, a, just a resident. It could be, you know, a coworker, a colleague, um, but that that is something that I have noticed.
2: And that's another thing too again as far as distributing the burden here say confrontation board associations that might have you know a grounds committee or an architectural review committee you know having them walk around um, with you you know not a bad idea and if you know you have a problem resident where the one that's waiting for you, when you come in, it is a good idea to have a witness and just kind of, you know, that's why HR will often have a witness when they have to do something unpleasant, you know, with an employee, you have someone who's not having that, um, you know, that exchange. Now that gets expensive and scheduling can be a pain in in the butt there, I realize, but again, Sarah, to your point, if you're not comfortable, it's not worth it. Uh, Bring somebody with you. I'll, I'll just add, and I know this is another rabbit hole, but you know, more and more I'm getting questions about, can I use a drone to do this for me? And that's another podcast. Uh, there's some FAA regulations and you know, licensing requirements, but I do see that you know that is definitely in the future. I'm sure there's um, management companies who are doing it now, especially on some of these larger communities in uh, the, the northeast of Pennsylvania but sarah have you guys talked about that yet
1: as far as using drones no i'm there's that's a whole like you said that's a whole different ball game um you know that stuff you have to purchase you have to know and understand how to operate them i personally would not be interested in using a drone um but i see i see the lure for that um it's it's really non-invasive Um, And, I mean, it's 2023, like, everybody's using drones now.
0: They are becoming more and more prevalent in inspections of, uh, particularly of high-rise buildings, for a lot of different reasons, including safety. Mm -hmm. Sarah, I want to ask you a question relative to, so you manage a condo and an HOA, and there are clearly differences in those two types of associations, Um, So back to the, the confrontation issue, in an HOA, and this is typical, but not always the case, typically in HOA, the owner owns everything. So the minute you set foot on that person's property, you could be setting yourself up for confrontation. In a condo, again, typically, but not always, it's the exact opposite. The owner owns nothing on the exterior. Does that situation change at all how you conduct this inspection.
1: Yes. So it's in it, it, my condo association is very interesting um, in the way it's set up. It's basically a fee simple condo. So all all of the area outside is the association responsibility, but the condo owners are responsible for all of the exterior maintenance and repair. So When I'm doing my single family home inspections, I basically only inspect from the street. I never leave my car or go onto their property because I never want an issue with, you know, I was trespassing, I was invading personal privacy, you know, and the single family home association is very lax in a way obviously it's not, there's not as many rules as in the condos. So I feel like it's much easier to just do basically a drive-by inspection in the singles. The condos, I walk, I mean, front and back. It's very important because it is attached housing. I'm looking for for things like fire pits um, on the decks and patios and grill placement, stuff like that. So That absolutely affects the way that inspections are performed.
0: So obviously there's going to be times when an inspection uncovers rules violations. I mean, that's the point of the inspection, right? So what's the most effective way at following up on violations and getting your residents and homeowners to comply with the association's rules?
1: Um, Just consistency, communication and consistency. Our policy for both associations are in the same community. Uh, First, you get a warning and then you get a fine and the fine escalates, obviously, the more you have these issues. And over COVID, and I I think probably a lot of communities went through this, over COVID, we weren't as actively doing inspections. (laughs) Just because, A, people were home a lot, people were going through hardships, we didn't want to kind of add to the burden of covid So there was a lot last year, we really kind of kicked back up on compliance and there was a lot of stuff that was out of control. Um, frankly, like pressure washing, just general kind of maintenance stuff. So we were very clear, very transparent. This is what we're looking for. This is what needs to be addressed. And this is what it needs to be addressed by. And we, I went out every single month and re-inspected not just by unit, the entire community. And that actually helps me when I'm doing the entire community. Cause then it's not like I have to go out every week or every other week to spot check units. It just really helps to keep an eye on what's happening in the community and make sure people are are following up and, you know, working with what you're sending them to, to have come in compliance.
0: I'm curious if if you saw a different reaction given your suspension of inspections for one, two, maybe three years during the pandemic and the resumption of them. Was did something change from the homeowner perspective?
1: It to be honest, it was a bit of a mixed bag. Some people, you know, are like, this was here the whole time. You know, why is it a problem now? And when I say we were intentionally Forgoing so many inspections as basically a favor um, to not burden people during COVID. Some people are, are like, oh, okay, you know, I totally understand that. But then, you know, you always have those people that are like, it's been this way for two years, I'm not changing it. And my answer is, listen, it's against the rules and regs. It's, you know, regardless of the time it's been like, that doesn't make it, not against the rules and regs.
2: So, Matt, what do you think about this? To Sarah's point, uh, consistency is is really key here. I, I tell my boards, uh, no good deed goes unpunished. It goes unpunished. So, For sure. <laughs> right. So when and it's it's usually with the best of intentions uh, when you start inserting subjectivity in the process, giving somebody a break, and then you know you treated Bob different than Jane and you know jane construes it as being very different that doesn't understand what's going on in bob's world and i'm dating myself but there is a movie called roadhouse with patrick swayze tony may uh you remember that movie don't date me matt (laughs) (laughs) so the premise of the movie patrick swayze is this very sophisticated but zen-like bouncer right and some guy wants to clean up his bar and turn it into this, you know, great upscale nightclub. And he, he's brought in to clean it up and it's bad. And I've had that instance where you know we've had a self-managed community for two decades and they get an enlightened board, they bring in manager. And now it's just, it's gonzo. What's going on in that community and the headaches of trying to then get consistency in the role enforcement process, um, it's great for lawyers, not so great for the association. <laughs> so again, if you can be as consistent as possible, and sometimes that means making a hard decision, you're doing yeah. things the board doesn't want to do. Um, there's some nice people who are in violation. And um, again, I, I just had a board recently just say it's with much you know, hesitation. And I don't know if they use the word regret. I think they use the word heavy heart. That we want you to move forward here with this enforcement action because the people are very lovely, but they're just not uh, making you know any changes with respect to this rule violation. So,
0: right.
2: just add on to that.
0: Well, and it's true, Matt, isn't it that if a rule goes unenforced, it eventually becomes unenforceable? Yeah.
2: Well, that's another thing I wanted to touch on today too. Is that that is that is a that's a real problem. And that's something that boards should review on occasion because you might have a, a community that had, um, you know, roles that were made you know, 10 years ago or two decades ago and pets are a big one, right? I know we're talking about property inspections, but you know, the world has kind of changed with pets, especially. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a lot of roles still in the books that say no pets, <clears throat> but if you're allowing pets, but you have a no pet, uh, rule and you're not enforcing it. Somebody gets injured by a dog. You now have created a very nice layup for that personal injury attorney. And so, a rule is a duty that you, as an association, <clears throat> have undertaken. You know something to enforce a restriction. And if you have rules out there that you're not enforcing, it's probably time to get rid of them. Mm-hmm. And communities evolve, and and so you know maybe twice a year, I'm sorry, uh, every two years, the board should just review the rules and say, hey, are are these still relevant to our community?
0: Matt, what are some common mistakes that you see with property inspections and rule enforcement? I think we probably just talked about one of them, but are there others? So the biggest
2: one is that, you know, under both acts, uh, the Planned Community Act and the Uniform Condominium Act, unit owners must be given the opportunity to be heard before they can be fined. And the rules that a manager might be following to a T may not have that in their process. And that doesn't matter. <clears throat> the act says, hey, we don't care what's in your governing documents. You must give people the opportunity to be heard before you find them. And now there's ways to really abbreviate that process. It can be, you can put that right into your notice of violation hey, if you would like to discuss this with the dispute resolution committee, the board or it, please let us know in writing. Within the next whatever days, you've now given that person the opportunity to be heard. If they do take that opportunity, uh, then you have to make it happen. And these don't need to be quasi trials or evidentiary type hearings, uh, but you need to follow that process. And so that's probably the the biggest one that we see because If you don't follow that, that can undermine um, the entire enforcement uh, procedure that was
0: followed up to that point. And and just for clarification, you mentioned the acts. Those are, can you just spell those out for our listeners? Sure. So there's the
2: Uniform Planned Community Act, which governs HOAs, and then there's the Uniform Condominium Act. Both of the, and there's the Cooperative Act too, but not, not too many of those in PA. Those acts are what we call for the most part, gap filler. So they'll often many of the sections will say, unless your governing documents say otherwise, than this. But there's also parts of that act that say, here it is, no matter what your governing documents say, you've got to follow this. And that's one of those, regardless of what your rules say and your dispute resolution procedure says, owners need to have um, be provided the right to be heard before they can be fined that does not apply to assessments. People do not need, are not provided an opportunity to be heard um, before they can be assessed or before you can pursue um, a collection efforts on assessment. This is just for being fined.
0: And uh, and so the, the, the acts Matt's referencing are Pennsylvania statutes. Uh, and for those of you who are listening who may not be in Pennsylvania, there are probably not like, not necessarily, but probably Similar acts in your state that you should check. Uh, Matt, what are some common pitfalls again when we're talking about property inspections? Yeah, I think
2: we covered them really. It's the, the two biggest ones I wanted to, uh, to really get out there was what I just said you know, that opportunity to be heard, which is a, a requirement in Pennsylvania, uh, injecting subjectivity in the process. You want to have this process to be as objective as possible. And then finally, do you have rules on the books that aren't getting enforced? And uh, if so, get rid of them, because that just, um, that's really just potential liability for your community.
0: So as we all know, community associations tend to get a bad rap in the media for rules and, and enforcement. We see it all the time on TV or in the newspaper. Matt, how do judges tend to treat rule enforcement actions?
2: Oftentimes. It really depends on what county, right? Uh, and, and and I practice in Pennsylvania, all over the state. Um, generally speaking, you tend to have an uphill battle. Um, judges, I have found, yeah, you know, they they tend to view the defendant as as the underdog, and that's such the story of our country, right? Rooting for the underdog. But what what I like to see, if I'm bringing an enforcement action, the more that I Rule can be tied to a legitimate purpose; the better. Easy one, right? Grills on a balcony. Mm-hmm. You know, anything that's related to uh, fire, uh, fire safety, um, property preser- property um, value uh, preservation, and anything life safety. Those are pretty easy. Items that might get into the subjectivity of you know, lawn ornaments, uh, the size of signs, that kind of thing, the more that you're getting away from property uh, value and safety, sometimes the harder it is. But again, you always have the ability to point to the judge of, hey, these people accepted these roles when they moved in. Sarah, how about you? I mean, you've seen this too, um, as a witness, um, have you seen a lot of eye rolling or are, uh, are judges typically, um, keeping the eye rolls in check?
1: Fortunately, I have not had to go to any sort of litigation over rules violations, knock on wood. Hopefully I do not have to. Um, but I would, I would tend to think that you are correct. You know, if it's, if it's a safety measure. But, you know, contractually, these owners are signing up for these rules and regs. They have all the time in the world to review their governing documents, to ask questions, not even just from their agent, but also the property manager. You know, PA Condo Law, and I, I think it's um, Planned Community too. they have to get the resale disclosure package. I mean, there's so many levels of These are the rules. These are the rules. These are the rules. And my association, I'm sure most associations have new owners sign off on a rules and regulations acknowledgement form. That's all contractual um, stating that you have read, understand, and agreed to abide by the rules. So as long as it's not a rule change that was imposed, you know, after somebody moved in, uh, I don't, I don't see how there could be too much of an issue with that.
2: The other thing, Joe, I'll add there. What I also like to see, you know, when we're bringing an enforcement action, is that this doesn't appear in paper to be a game of gotcha. That mm-hmm. when the manager flagged the violation, the unit owner was not immediately subjected to a fine, unless it was something that that was of a life safety issue that required you know, immediate action, but. I like to see, hey, you're in violation, and here um, is whatever, seven, 10, 15 days to cure, if it's a reasonable cure period. And that they gave this, they tried a few times before they went, uh, especially before they went the lawyer route, but but at least try once before you go the fine route. And then the other thing, when you do make changes to your rules, I counsel my clients to have at least a 30-day rollout period <clears throat> that you don't hit a resolution on Thursday and start enforcing it on Friday, right? Yeah. That's not going to hold up in court. And communication is key and to have that rollout process, give people some time, especially if it's a rule that's going to change what people can put on their balcony or how they how they are used to behaving. Mm -hmm. Again, something we can show the court, what I'd like to show is, hey, judge, we've been very reasonable here. Uh, You know, the person had advanced notice, the person was given a violation, they were given a cure period, uh, they were given a fine, they were given an opportunity to be heard, and then we went to counsel,
0: and now we're here. Sir, when do you typically get an attorney involved in a situation like this?
1: As far as rule violations, I try not to involve the attorneys very much. No offense, Matt. Um, You know, my job as a property manager is to look out for the best interest of my community. But sometimes, and it's it's happened, there are residents that are repeat offenders. They are chronic noncompliant. And more oftentimes than not, it is a safety issue. They are, they have stuff going on with their units that is concerning for me as a property manager, our insurance for the community and the neighbors. And most oftentimes it's when there's a bunch of other residents reaching out to me like, Hey, you know, what's going on with this, blah, blah, blah. Did you see this? And that's when I'm like, okay, you know, and you follow due procedure, you send them notices, you send them reminders, um, you start doing fines. And typically after the second or third fine, and again they escalate. So by the third fine, it's a hundred dollars and they aren't paying the fines and they continue not compliance. If it's a safety issue, that's when I'll I'll bring legal in because they obviously don't care. The resident or owner doesn't care to address them and it's not something that you can just let go by the wayside.
0: Matt, what's your rule of thumb when an attorney should get involved? So, well, when
2: fines are having zero impact, right, Um, Mm. but even then you want to have the fines get to a certain level. You don't want your counsel fees to far um, exceed the fines. You know, I find, again, when that a judge is looking at that. And so for, you know, typically for most attorneys, probably doesn't make sense to get a lawyer involved until you reach and say the 1500 to $2,000 mark. Yeah. But that also, that, that depends too, if, if, there, if there is something that could be impacting other residents' ability to enjoy their homes, mm-hmm. uh, if there could be something that could be impacting property values, and that's money. There's another aspect of this too, where if you are requiring someone to, to actually do something or right. refrain from doing something. And in an HOA setting, you might have somebody, I, this happens usually once a year, somebody goes a little overboard on their, um, their landscaping and they redirect the natural drainage or the swale. And so now they've created a swamp, uh, you know, kind of down, uh, down elevation amongst their neighbors. And so you need to file an action that seeks an injunction, you know, requiring that person to, uh, remove that or getting permission by the court to come in and, uh, redistribute that person's, uh your backyard and to address the drainage. And so in those injunction type actions, again, if, if uh, you have to stop somebody from doing something or force them to do something, that's when you want to get an attorney involved too.
0: Well, let me thank you both, Sarah and Matt, for joining me today for this episode of Community Matters podcast. This has been a really interesting and, and for me, educational conversation that we just had, and I, and I hope so for others as well. Thanks for listening to Community Matters. We're glad to have your attention for a short time. And thanks once more to the sponsor of Community Matters podcast, Hoffman HOA Law. You can find them on the web at hoffmanhoalaw.com. Interested in being a guest on an upcoming episode of Community Matters? Reach out to me at tony, T-O-N-Y, at caikeystone.org. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you'll get notifications every time we post a new episode. And please share our podcast with your colleagues and friends. For more resources and best practices on managing and governing your condominium, cooperative, or homeowners association, please contact CAI or visit our website at www.caikeystone.org. Thanks for listening.